I don't know if you're keeping track of all the things that Robert McConnell has done this morning, but my count is played the piano, led liturgy, led the choir, sang. Robert, would you like to preach? <laughs> Next week. Talented guy. Our reading for today comes from John's Gospel. I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord uh, from John 1, 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said, He said to him, He said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I shared this week in my weekly reflection that this season that we're in right now, Epiphany, this season runs from Christmas uh, up until Lent, and this season is designed to reveal the glory of God in Christ. What does exactly uh, that mean? Uh, It means that through Jesus' ministry, especially his early ministry, that we come to see that that God, this God that Jesus reveals, is unlike anything we can conceive of on our own. Uh, The theologian Ashley Knoll put it like this when he wrote that once uh, the, the, the glory of God is to love the unworthy. That that is the best definition we have of the glory of God. That the glory of God is to love the unworthy. That is God's very essence. It is the most on-brand thing God can do, is to love sinners, to love the unworthy. That is when we see God's glory shine the brightest. And describing this glory, uh, the novelist Jack Kerouac once wrote this, Nothing else in the world matters but the kindness of God's grace. Nothing else in the world matters but the kindness of God's grace. And I just, want, I just want to take a moment and I just want you to register that. Nothing else in the world matters except for the kindness of God's grace. And if it's the only thing that you remember from today's sermon, that will be enough. That will be enough. But for the rest of the sermon, I want to talk about a very specific way that I think we begin to experience the kindness of God's grace. Uh, a way for us to have a, a deep and abiding experience of this, to know uh, that God's love reaches us. I don't know if this is true for you. I mean, do you ever wonder sometimes how it happens that God's grace reaches you, how it becomes real to you? Um, I think there's a lot of ways this, this happens. Hopefully it happens 
uh, here in the sanctuary uh, as we come together for worship, as we maybe hear uh, something from the choir uh, through the liturgy, when maybe we observe a baptism or we take communion. Hopefully, like once a year, it happens in preaching, uh, at least. Uh, it happens when we read scripture or in daily uh, meditation or prayer. Um, I think oftentimes we have an experience of God's grace that is most acute when we are walking through pain or when we are struggling somehow. But what I want to suggest to you today is that one of the primary means of God's grace, the way that God reaches us, is through human friendship. It's through human friendship. Uh, Our friends activate the grace of God in our lives. Uh, And while there's a lot of things that I could say about the text that we just read for this morning, if you'll allow me, I just want to focus on this very small but powerful element of this story. I want to talk about this friendship between Philip and Nathaniel. A few years ago, I preached a sermon on friendship from a different story in Scripture. Uh, and after worship, in between the services, we were having coffee on the patio at my former church in Austin, and someone stopped me and told me that it was the first time they'd ever heard a sermon about friendship. And that really surprised me. How could that be? Friendship shows up all over the place in Scripture. But it also saddened me because I think that friendship is such a crucial component of our faith. I mean, I I believe that the gospel, I mean, genuinely broken down is that God befriends us, befriends us in Jesus Christ. But it's more than that. Our calling as Christians is to extend that friendship to other people. It's to extend Christ's friendship to other people, which is exactly what Philip is doing here. When Philip says to Nathaniel, hey, I found, I found the one. Come and see. He's not only extending his own friendship to Nathaniel, but he is expect, he's extending Christ's friendship to him. And because of Philip, really because of Philip, Nathaniel experiences the joy of being known by God. He is reached with the grace of God. I wonder what this, uh, how this plays out for you in your own life. Of course, we, we all come to faith uh, initially because at some point in our lives, someone invited us to come and see. And I think uh, naturally this happens, these invitations are extended by our parents or our grandparents or maybe a spouse or a sibling even. Um, but as we grow and as we mature in our faith, it is often, I think, friendship with other Christians that deepens uh, our experience of God's grace and in the end strengthens our faith. An invitation to come be a part of a group or a Bible study or come back to church maybe if you've had, had been missing for a while. It's usually someone reaching out personally. Uh, in May of this year, the, the U.S. Surgeon General, you might have seen this, uh, declared that loneliness is now an epidemic in our, in our country, adding that even before the onset of uh, the pandemic, that approximately half of U.S. adults reported that they were lonely, measurably lonely, which I think is a s- staggering number. It's a staggering number. It means, I mean, just in a room like this, half of this room might be experiencing loneliness in a very real and very measurable way. And so it's no wonder that one of the things I hear all the time uh, as a pastor uh, is that people are looking for a friend. They come to church looking for a friend. And maybe that's true of where you are right now. Maybe you are looking for a friend. 
It's tough, I think, to make and to hold on to friends, uh, even uh, especially, I think, as we age, and uh, especially for uh, men. Uh, the comedian John Mulaney once joked, my dad has no friends. Your dad has no friends uh, either. And if you think your dad has friends, you're wrong. Your mom has friends, and they have husbands. Those are not your dad's friends, right? <laughs> Just register that for a second, right? It's a painful joke, uh, but it's, it's true, right? About 2,000 years ago, around the time of uh, the story that I just read, the Greek philosopher Plutarch wrote uh, about friendship that it's a very rare thing. And the reason that it's rare is that it, it, uh, it takes a lot of trust to be friends with someone. Uh, and secondly, there aren't that many trustworthy people. That's what Plutarch thought. And then thirdly, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to build friendships. Uh, so, so Plutarch thought that friendship was so rare that maybe uh, we would have seven friends in our life, which is like a very specific number uh, for Plutarch to give us. But if you think about your own relationships, you can see that that could be true. That could be true. Friendship is rare. Most of the friendships that we have uh, are what Arthur Brooks calls deal friends. Uh, maybe you, you know what this is like, friendships that are useful in some way to our lives, right? Our colleagues, um, maybe people we work out with, or a teammate. Uh, maybe it's another parent in the neighborhood or uh, at school. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with these kinds of friendships at all. I think that these friendships are really valuable. They lift us up in a lot of ways. Uh, they contribute to our well-being. Um, these are friendships with people that you don't, you're not going to share everything with. But in some ways, it's still, it's nice to see them in the grocery store or in the pickup line. Uh, for me, as a dad, uh, the way that this plays out in my life is, is um, at my kids' soccer practices, right? There are other dads there. And what are we doing? We're just talking trash about the coach, right? And um, <laughs> commenting on everything that the coach is doing wrong. Uh, we're reliving our own glory days, you know, when I was, when I was 16 you know, I would have scored that goal, and uh, this, the tactics are all wrong, right? These are, these are deal friends. These are not people I'm sharing my soul with. Uh, these are not people who I'm expecting to support me in any kind of crisis. Um, but these are, these are deal friends. And Brooks says that the, these, are not, uh, these are not friends that we're probably going to have one-on-one -on -one relationships with, and certainly these are not the people who are going to meet us in difficult times. For those moments, what we need are real friends, right? We need something more. We need friends with whom we can share our longings and our fears, uh, as well as our hopes and, and dreams. Um, friends who will remind us and really remind us, really reach us with the unconditional love and mercy of God, uh, especially when uh, you know, we live in a culture that tells us we're only as good as last week's performance, right? Uh, a man I know experienced a, a very public and embarrassing public um, failure while on a, a business trip. And before the day was over, he had a text uh, from one of his friends who said this, don't worry what anyone says, get yourself back here where you are loved and supported. I wanna have lunch with you next week. That is the kind of friend that we all desperately need. But Plutarch was right. Uh, friendship like this is rare because it takes trust and it takes time, and it usually begins, and if you think about how this has played out in your own life and your own friendships, it usually begins with a giant risk. Philip here, in the story I've just read, took a giant risk. 
he took a big risk to go beneath the surface and to share something that was real in his own life and to invite Nathaniel into that real spiritual longing. I mean, imagine, he has, this is high stakes. I have found the one whom Moses and the prophets and the law has spoken about. It was risky for him to invite uh, to invite Nathaniel to come and see. I mean, what if Jesus wasn't actually who he said he was? What if uh, his message didn't resonate with Nathaniel? What if uh, Nathaniel judged Philip uh, for believing that this nobody from Nazareth? I mean, you, you caught that, right? Like, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Nathaniel is already judging him. If you've ever tried to take a risk, especially talking about your faith with someone else, you know how vulnerable that experience um, can be. But I hope what you see from this story this morning is the way that God will honor that if you take that risk. The way that if you, if you are bold enough to take a risk, to talk about something real going on in your life, that God will meet you there. And not only meet you there, but meet the person that you are inviting into it. Don't miss the fact that Jesus reaches Nathaniel. He knew him before he even found him. Andy Crouch is a, uh, a Christian leader. He's a Christian author. And uh, he says that he's part of a group of friends uh, that call themselves the eulogists. They call themselves the eulogists. And they convened this group of, of friends because they wanted a, a group of people who would know each other and love each other so well and for so long that they would uh, be able to give a genuine and honest and complete account of one another's lives at each other's funerals. So they call each other the eulogists. And they also aim to hold each other accountable while they are living to a life that would be worth, worthy of the kind of eulogy that they would offer. I just wonder if you know who your eulogists are. I don't mean to be overly dark here on a very cold Sunday morning uh, in January, but it's a worthwhile question to consider. Do you know who these people are in your life? Take a moment to think about it, and don't think about it very long. This is not the kind of question that you want to think about for an hour. You should immediately know who those people are. And if those people come to your mind, maybe say a prayer of gratitude for them today. But if your mind goes blank, maybe take this as an invitation to begin to think about building some friendships into your life. My guess is that you're going to have to take a risk to invite people to coffee or over for a meal and share something about what is going on in your life. One of the, my main responsibilities at the church that I served for eight years in Austin was uh, to develop groups like this, to put groups of people together, to invite them to have these kinds of relationships. And when we were putting these groups together, we talked a lot about what we wanted these groups to look like. Were they going to be Bible studies? Were they uh, book clubs? It was like group therapy. Uh, and I think that maybe elements of each of those found their way into these groups. But fundamentally, what we had in mind was a group of friends, people who could share a meal together and feel comfortable asking, what is going on in your life? How can I pray for you? And this came from our conviction that friendship itself is a spiritual pr practice. Because we believe that through one another, relationships with one another, God actually reaches us. We are a means of grace to one another. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. 
to invite someone to see what God is doing in your life. And it's a powerful thing to bear witness to something that God is doing in someone else's life. And for the eight years uh, that my wife and I lived in Austin, we had a group of friends like this. Uh, we didn't call ourselves the eulogists. Uh, we didn't have any cool name, uh, now regretfully that I think about that. But we shared our lives together. And throughout uh, those eight years, we showed up for each other. We prayed for each other. We supported each other. Uh, we went through some big transitions. We went through some scary times, folks in the hospital. My friend Chuck, who was a part of this group and who you'll meet uh, in a couple weeks uh, at my installation, Chuck was the first person to tell me that he thought uh, uh, that God was calling me away from Austin. Uh, so you can either blame or credit Chuck uh, with me standing before you today. And while these are some of my best friends uh, in the world, uh, it took years. It took years, and it took risk after risk for that to become true. Right? When we first started meeting together, we met in the basement of our church. It was like fluorescent lights. We had a cheese board that was like sweating, you know, like as much as we were uh, in that moment, asking each other, what's going on in your life? We didn't know each other. It was awkward. It was a risk. But eight years later, later we are the best of friends. We became for each other an answer to one of my favorite uh, and consistent prayers from the, the Book of Common Prayer, which goes like this. Oh God, you manifest in your servants the signs of your presence. Send forth upon us the spirit of love that in, com in companionship with one another, your abounding grace may increase among us. Send forth upon us the spirit of love that in companionship with one another, your abounding grace may increase among us. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for this congregation. May you have at least one friend that deepens your experience of God's grace. And if that's not true for you right now, my prayer is that you will find that here in this community. My guess, though, for that to become true for you is that you will have to take a risk. You'll either have to invite someone else into your life or you will have to say yes to an invitation from someone else. But over time and trust, you will begin to see a friendship develop. And I'll just say this and then I'm finished. May we be a church, may we be a church that declares the glory of God is to love the unworthy and invites anyone and everyone to come and be a part of that, to experience that. Because uh, in a divided and lonely culture, like the one that we're living in, I know of nothing more powerful than someone who has been transformed, changed by the grace of God, to be that grace to someone else. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.